0: at and Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for at and Threat Track.
1: So Matt, tell us a little more about this uh, zero logon attack.
0: This bug is wild. So this is uh, a bug in Windows Server. A company called Secura found it and reported it a while ago. It has been patched, so there are patches available. I highly recommend you go find them. Before I even get into what the bug is, highly recommend you patch for this. And this was in the latest Microsoft Patch Tuesday. So so what does this bug mean? Um, this bug lets you become any computer account on the domain. Um, and ultimately the upshot of this is you can basically take over the domain through various steps you could take at that point. It's a bug within the cryptography of the net logon service within windows which is sort of how uh computers uh update and and sync passwords on the domain um so part of this algorithm i'm going to go a little bit in depth here um is that the the server and client authentication in net logon uses a shared secret and there's actually a function that they use a very kind of um out of the ordinary algorithm for the encryption of aes cfb8 or 8-bit cypher feedback mode and this has to do a little bit with initialization vectors and i do kind of want to discuss it but i realize that i could go too deep in the weeds here basically the upshot of the bug is somebody made a mistake when they implemented it that initialization vector that's supposed to provide randomness was set to all zeros so in in certain situations like one out of every 256 tries um, you might get a key that starts with a zero, and because of the way that the algorithm works, it basically zeros out everything through the, the XORing that it's doing. So, um, as it turns out, you can you can use this to set like, blank passwords for these computer accounts on the domain and then take further steps to escalate privileges. Uh, it's wild. Um, I really recommend people read the paper associated with this because they do a great job of explaining it. Um, and just because of the, the amount of time it would take to explain all the details and all the different scenarios. Um, we probably can't talk about it in depth here, but there is a fix as well as a patch. Um, so they, they say there are certain things you can do to sort of mitigate as well. Uh, but ultimately, this is a, a bug that you must be aware of if you run uh, Active Directory in your environment uh, because of how critical this is. You can go from like any any machine joined to the domain you can go to completely on the domain very quickly.
2: So Matt, do we know whether anyone is actually, whether is this, it has this bug has been exploited?
0: That's a great question. So the folks who found the bug reported it quietly to Microsoft and had them patch it. They have released a tool to check for the presence of the bug. They have not released any exploit code for very good reasons. It's gonna take some time for people to patch this bug um, so as far as I know, there's no evidence that anyone is exploiting it in the wild. But now that the bug is public knowledge, you, you can bet there are people who are going to go out and try and exploit it. So as of as of today, as of taping, I have not heard of any active exploitation, but I don't think it'll be that long, uh, especially given how powerful this bug is.
1: Wow. So um, yeah, this is crazy. I mean. I guess another thing is that companies should really take a look at what's going on in their network. Assuming you know the attacker would have to already be on the network to exploit this, right? So, um,
0: and one of the things about it is that in order to successfully exploit it, you do have to make a bunch of requests. Okay. Um, It is in some. The funny thing is, computer accounts apparently don't usually have uh, attempt limits. So, like if you were to try and guess two hundred fifty six passwords for any other account on the domain, you you'd lock that account. But right. okay. computer accounts, there isn't such a thing. It, it's not enabled. Um, wow. So, but if you're keeping an ah. eye on those accounts on the domain and saying, "Hey, someone's trying a whole bunch of, you know, yeah. possibilities here," uh, you might be able to catch it. I mean, I don't know exactly what it would take in order to do that. You probably want your Windows logging turned all the way up to see it. Uh, I think they actually did in the patch add logging for certain types of events that would help you detect an attempt to do this but at that point you've, you've patched already.
1: Right, okay,
0: yeah. In, in theory, it should be very detectable if you're watching, but the downside is those 256 requests that I talked about before should only take about three seconds. Um, so <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that, crazy.
0: Those things in the paper you're reading to you go, oh my God,
1: yeah. wow. this, is, this is crazy. So it's a good wake up call um, for a lot of companies who, who are on like a serious patch schedule. Um, you know, it, it gives them an opportunity to say, hey, let's take a look at all the other controls we have set. Make sure our logging is is in place and that we're logging the right um, Windows Event IDs and, and make sure that we have that covered so we can catch this before that patch comes through or, we're hoping they would break their cycle once this patch comes in just to be covered, right? I mean,
0: yes, I, I it's, it's a good wake really up call. to recommend that you, you you issue this as a, a critical. If you've got a yeah. patching program within the company,
1: this is at the top of your list right now. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. This is a good one, Matt. Thank you. Glad
2: they found it. Glad somebody found it. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, George, what do you have to tell us about some smart lock story?
1: So, yeah, Karen, this is interesting. Um, so there's this company 360 lock that has this smart lock. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have smart locks. Uh, I had one at one point, but had to take it out uh, for, for many re- different reasons. But uh, this specific one um, appears to <laughs> has a bit of a, I guess, a marketing gimmick attached to it where they're saying that they use blockchain, Ethereum blockchain technology to be specific um to ensure privacy confidentiality um, and encryption on their product Uh, so essentially what they're saying is that anytime the lock is unlocked locked or any type of interaction between the bluetooth device and the lock is recorded in the blockchain ledger still not exactly sure why that's necessary but this is what they're using right to market the lock um and so so this so Pentest Partners who's a uh, pen testing service decided to take a look at it um, and it runs under BLE so um, Bluetooth low energy. Um, so when apparently the pen tester who was working kind of a pro in BLE pen testing you've seen stuff before they were still kind of unsure as to where the blockchain uh, gimmick comes in on on protecting this lock um, but uh, they, they pretty much put themselves, so he put himself, um, you have to you have to be close enough to the lock to kind of intercept a session that's occurring between an authenticated user and the lock. Um, and then by analyzing the traffic there, he was able to see uh, one, a couple of the actual um, packets going through where it kind of showed the password um, or pin. In, in a form where, where they can pull it out and then resubmit it and unlock it themselves. So they can extract the password in clear text or the pin whatever, whatever number they're using to unlock the lock, hold on to it and then reissue it whenever they want which which allows them to unlock it or lock it at, and they can change the password as well. Um, wow, <laughs> the, the article gets pretty, pretty in-depth in, in exactly how how he was able to to look at the traffic, exactly which parameters he extracted to make this happen. Um, it was apparently a piece of cake for the researcher. And while, yeah, you do need to be in close proximity, um, I don't think Bluetooth LE requires you to be right up against it, right? I mean, you could be fairly far away. I, I probably should have researched what the uh, line of sight is. But um, yeah, so once they were able to, you know, get through this, you know, fancy blockchain-ish <laughs> technology that they're claiming makes this. Oh, by the way, and and the reason why Pentest partners went after this lock is the reason why a lot of uh security researchers go after stuff is when they say it's hack-proof or mm. unhackable, right? This is the one thing, yeah. <laughs> if you want people to to bang on it, guess what? Say that, and you'll have enough people to prove you wrong <laughs> in just about every scenario. Um, so they went in there. After he, after the researcher proved them wrong after they sniffed the traffic and did all this and uh, performed this replay attack, decided to do some kind of physical, uh, what did he call it? physical brute forcing? With a simple rubber mallet, he was literally able to just pop the lock right off of the mechanism. Um, and, and, you know, again, the lock was, was, was created by some fancy alloy that they marketed Um, impenetrable and and whatever however else they they explained it but uh, so in other words this 360 lock uh, they have two versions one that's one that looks like a standard kind of like a u-lock like a padlock style right and then one that you can lock your bike up with with some kind of a interesting looking mechanism both of them use the same tech both of them were breakable via a rubber mallet Um, so both you know. Uh, Technology-wise, and physical brute forcing, uh, pretty much makes this lock useless and uh, a fairly easy crack.
0: Hmm. So, so what's our lesson from all this? Is uh, don't <laughs> buy for the hype? Or
1: yeah, I mean, I I'm pretty sure there's quite a few smart locks that follow the same pattern. For um sure. I mean, I, th- and and one of the problems I had with my smart lock wasn't exactly the fact that it's hackable. Because, um, you know, you could kind of, I mean, I guess you can't really protect yourself too much around it. But the, the way the lock mechanism closes, it doesn't use the same amount of strength um, that a person would when turning the actual lock itself. But in this particular case, the mechanism that would push the lock into the, I guess, the door casing wasn't strong enough to make it. So maybe the, it was an alignment issue. Don't believe the hype. Number one, Ethereum blockchain, blah, blah, blah.
0: <laughs> does that actually help? I mean, that's the thing. Like, you've got a record that someone opened your lock somewhere. I guess that's important, but that's that's a database. It doesn't need to be on the blockchain,
1: right? Right. And it's also a little scary, right? Like, why does the world need to know somebody's you're unlocking your door and when you're unlocking it and, you know, when you make a change to your account? Like, I really don't want people who are, you know, mm-hmm. making, you know, uh cryptocurrency transactions knowing that not, not the other. so it's so yeah. strange
0: but <laughs> well you were
2: yeah, saying this. i never understood this connection of this technology to be used for a regular house lock or a bike lock it just i don't know that was a a, a leap that i just didn't get yeah. honestly
0: <laughs> what i think is what you're doing with you're taking a, a lock by itself which you know may or may not have its own flaws and you're adding an extra attack surface to it Right, you're, yeah. you're making it easier in some respects to actually open the lock. Now you've got another way. So, yep. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of of locks and lock technology. Um, not maybe an expert, but at least a fan, and I can appreciate that people like the idea of making it convenient or remotely operating it. Um, but I Absolutely. would much rather just have a simple mechanical lock that I trust, um, than one that I I'm not positive somebody else couldn't open.
1: Yeah. And if you're going to use it, probably don't lock something up that has extreme value, right? Like you're willing to lose whatever it is you're locking up, but it's worth the 20 bucks that you're spending on the lock, I guess. So I don't, yeah, however much this was. Yeah, cost.
2: but wh- why do you have to open a bike lock remotely?
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't carry your keys with you. i just like,
2: I don't get it. it. I don't.
1: No, I don't. It's oh, like yeah. a gimmick. T-
2: it's a gimmick. Yeah,
1: I mean. Yeah, I guess it's like, could be, could be considered like that keyless entry concept that the active keyless entry they have now, where you just put your hand in your door handle Mm -hmm. without grabbing your keys and it unlocks, um, they have found ways to intercept that traffic. Right. And, and replay that attack and people drive away with their cars. So, you know, I guess some people just want to be fully like, fully digital Mm -hmm. and not touch anything.
0: (laughs) And they enjoy the convenience of it, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. So Karen, you've got a story relating to credential stuffing and financial institutions. What can you tell us?
2: Yeah, well, the FBI just put out this alert um, about credential stuffing. I I don't think that's anything completely new, but um, what's been happening with greater frequency, according to this report, is that because of all these millions and millions of credentials that are out there in databases, that hackers are taking these and just applying them against Um, Normally, they'd be looking at the companies that they were stolen from to see if they could be used, but they're just assuming that people are using those same passwords over and over again and just kind of cramming them into these financial institutions and uh, seeing what they can open up. And obviously, they are successful because we know that people are uh, not always uh, so good at their, their password hygiene. We've talked about that many times on ThreatTrack. The thing that's interesting here, I thought, was, um, was uh, that they've been doing this, uh, for, for me, they said that they're doing this in some cases so much on these login servers that they actually look like they're DDoS attacks. So they're just cramming so many credentials in there that the companies aren't even aware that really what they're trying to do, this is these credential stuffing attacks because they're treating them like they're DDoS attacks in a couple of cases. Um, and that the other thing that's happening is, is that they're using them against APIs because um, APIs are frequently don't have two-factor authentication. I think most banks, uh, hopefully uh, all the viewers who watch track have already – implemented two-factor authentication if the banks haven't required it they most of them at least offer it um, but on a lot of these APIs uh, it, it, they aren't uh, They that, that's not required so again that's another place where this is happening um, and so uh, we're just saying again you know a kind of a, I would say just a, a variant of this and that um, in some cases some of the losses have been you know, somewhat sizable, um, and, uh, and 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 uh, it's just was the FBI out there alerting um, the financial institutions more broadly that they really needed to take these precautions. Uh, and this was happening, as you can imagine, um, at some of the smaller, not you know, the biggest um, institutions, but some of the smaller ones that uh, were medium-sized, that um, this was happening. Um, They were estimating in some cases that there were 50,000 accounts that were compromised, which is a fairly large number. Um, So uh, just uh, in as you can imagine uh you know the the fbi also put out there you know some of your standard mitigations which are you know change your passwords um you know don't use the same ones twice but also for the institutions themselves um to kind of step up their own monitoring um we talked that about that in your story matt as well that uh you know that that you need to have some better monitoring to to see this so that you know in this case of having it look feed off the tech that you can obviously um be able to differentiate for instance mm-hmm. between those things which shouldn't be too hard um to figure out so um you know again just uh, uh, an important message out there and uh, from the fbi so i wanted to bring it here
0: yeah you you mentioned that uh the apis don't have two-factor authentication and i've, I've come across that a couple of times um and it just seems like such a crazy thing that like you, you spend all this time making it so that the user interface requires two-factor authentication for a normal user locking in, and then you just build another version of it that doesn't have that. Like, I, I do honestly wonder, and maybe somebody can correct me or tell me why this doesn't, wouldn't make sense. The APIs that I've seen a lot are because you've got a mobile app, right? You've got something that it makes more sense to give people access to the app instead of the website. Couldn't you build some code into the app that allows it to have its own a uh, second factor of, of, of generating, like, a token code or something that changes every 60 seconds. Um, the same way that you would have with a an SMS um, code or, like, an RSA or other uh, time-based um, OTP. To, is there not a reason you could just do that, you know, you know include it in the app?
2: Well, hopefully one of our... One of our viewers could say yes, mm-hmm. but I think so. I don't see why that's not possible. Certainly, some APIs are protected. So um, I, I don't see why that wouldn't be possible. Seems okay. like a very logical thing to code into those actions.
1: Yeah, even, I mean, the fact that, that they're able to utilize an API. Um, and, and it sounds like if, like you're saying, Matt, like the, you know, the software, the app is using the API in the background, right? To make the request from the, from the bank. But they're obviously not using the app, right? So they're using another method. They're running some kind of a script. Um, there should be a way for them to pick, pick up the fact that the request is not coming from like the standard a standard UI, oh, it's sure. gotta be some kind of a string, right? That differentiates a request from a command prompt, from a script, well, or we would We would call it
0: HTTP API, we'd call that the user agent string, but there's there nothing, right. so, nothing proving well, the agent, user agent string isn't being faked anyway, like there it's you go. pretty yeah. So like at that point, you don't trust the client at all. You just have to trust that they have the authentication credentials that you're requiring, which is where I think like yeah, a second that's- factor not even the second factor, but like a rotating code or some sort of time-based, time-based. Something should be present in the API. Yeah. Who knows? I'm yeah. hoping somebody in the, in the comments can uh, enlighten me as to why this would or wouldn't work.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, cool. So, yeah. so what would you say people, um, just regular viewers, should do about this situation?
2: Well, certainly I I feel like we're kind of a broken record here, but obviously you don't use your same credentials on multiple on multiple accounts, right, and uh, and also you should change them, change them regularly. Um, uh, there there are examples of this for you know individuals that that they're the ones who had money stolen or th- or um, issues uh, with their accounts. So I, I mean this isn't this isn't um, I, I I don't want to make it sound like you know millions and millions of dollars have been stolen using this, but. But it is interesting because they're obviously getting much more adept at using the same trove of credentials and and attempting it in many, many, many more institutions to see what they can find. And so clearly, if you're using the same password and um, over and over and over again. I uh, you know, your risk is that much higher. So I think from a, from a consumer perspective, that's probably the best advice. Um, but they are also um, warning the, the the institutions themselves that they have to pay more attention to this and, and it should be fairly easy to uh, to monitor and, and be aware of.
0: Alright guys, let's take a look at this week's internet weather. So these are the top 10 most probed ports for this past week. Um, there are a few small changes here and there, but a very large one which I've highlighted. So let's run through what we've got. So uh, port 23 TCP is Telnet. That's in the top and that hasn't changed at all. We've seen that for the longest time as always one of the top contenders. Um, a lot of IoT devices seem to still have that open and it's a very very valuable way for people to uh get uh, new bots into the botnet uh right after that is 445 tcp which is smb um again another very popular port more for windows boxes especially in the uh, light of the eternal blue eternal uh, suite of, of bugs um of exploits i'm sorry so 80 icmp is ping uh 1433 tcp is microsoft sql server right after that is 3389 rdp and then followed by ssh at 22 tcp HTTPS at 443, which could be any number of services that people are scanning for. It just means that it's an encrypted web port. Uh, right after that is unencrypted 80 TCP, as HTTP. 81 TCP is an alternate web port. In a lot of situations, uh, could be IoT devices, just general alternate web ports. But sometimes, for um, popular in IoT botnets as well. Uh, the big jump here is 53 UDP that has moved up 12 slots, which is uh, kind of surprising, and that's um, that's DNS. Taking a look at the top sources probing, uh, this is a measure of individual sources as, uh, as opposed to just the volume of scanning. So we have a lot of, of large movements this week. Um, 23 TCP and 445 TCP we've talked about. 8291 is uh, Mikrotik Winbox service, which is something that runs on Mikrotik routers in particular. It's been a target for a while now. Uh, 22 TCP we've talked about. 8728 is Mikrotik API, again Mikrotik devices. Uh, 53 UDP is DNS. 80 TCP, 1433 we talked about. 27032 uh, generally related to the Steam client and Steam games. Uh, And then rounding out the bottom of that list is eight zero ICMP, which is ping.
1: So I've never seen the Steam client up there, Matt. Um, Do you have any background on, on, like, are they just trying to get into Steam servers, like, that people are hosting?
0: So why the Steam client? Um, When I think about UDP ports, which is what 27032 is here, I always think DDoS. Because typically it's a lot easier to kick off a DDoS attack. Um, when you're spoofing your sources, uh, and you can also use reflective stuff in in UDP. So, like, you spoof your source. I can send traffic from box A to box B, then box B will respond to box C, and if C is the target, yeah. I'm obfuscating who I'm attacking. And in some cases, you can generate an amplification effect as well. So, if I send a very small packet from A to B, and B's response to C is five, ten, a hundred times larger than what I sent, I'm getting an amplification out of that, and it's a lot cheaper for an attacker to do things that way. So taking a look at 8291 TCP, the Mikrotik WinBox, we've seen scanning on this before. Um, it's not clear whether they're scanning specifically to find this port and exploit it. Uh, a lot of times what we'll see with these IoT botnets is they'll pick some sort of uh, port that's very indicative of a certain kind of machine. Like if, if 8291 is only open on Mikrotik boxes, they'll scan that, and if they get that, they'll actually exploit a different port because uh, it'll tell them th- something about the possible targets. So for example, if, if you wanted to sit there and try brute forcing all the SSH credentials for these boxes, you could do that, or you could test to see if it's a Mikrotik winbox win box and then try the default for a micro uh, We have seen people do things like that. So that's what I tend to think this is. So Here's something interesting. The other port that spiked up this week was 8728. And I've just changed my slides and it's probably obvious to you guys how similar these two slides actually are. Yep. The interesting thing is the sources here for the 8291 scanning were in Germany and Egypt. You take a look at the ones for uh, the 8728, Vietnam, Thailand, and India. So I think this is the same botnet, and I think it's splitting up its scanning between two different populations. Because it's too weird that these things look so close, and yet the sources are not the same. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of yeah. sketchy, but I, I, it's... If you also if you see that for a long time there was a, a sort of a lull, uh, it may not actually be a lull so much as that's what the baseline looks like when this botnet's not in play.
1: Mm, Once its okay. volume
0: gets turned up against the ports it's interested in, you can see it. You know, it it basically drives the graph. So I I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think MicroTick likes being on these uh, on these scans because <laughs> they're always that's here. It seems like <laughs> it's like publicity for them, right? Mark, it's some kind of uh, I don't know
0: most attacked devices i don't think that's anybody's <laughs>
1: yeah. it's yeah. crazy yeah.
0: so taking a look at 27032 george like we talked mm-hmm. about before this is that steam client um this is it seems like it's not exactly periodic or regular like there are some pretty big spikes here uh they might be on like a a daily or, or every couple day basis because the spacing between some of the ones towards the right and towards the left seem to be pretty regular Um, but i don't think this is a research project i think this is somebody who's actively looking to scan uh to use for amplification attacks
1: yeah yeah makes sense any thoughts karen
2: yeah i i agree matt
0: that's it for the internet weather for this week
1: so thanks guys thank you matt
0: the views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.